I want to give you. I want to give you stuff that I that you know that, that is much more deeper food food for thought. Okay. On, on the way out today, if you'll stop by the table, um, you can get this full discussion in my series, The Flames of Heaven. And you can also um, the follow up to this is in my series the, called Winning at Life, where I talk about how to develop a sense of worth. I don't think I'm going to get to that today, although it's in the it's in the computer as if it could be. But I don't just by time, I just don't think I'm going to get there. Okay, so you can pick up those two things in CD, DVD, or USB. Okay, and um, once again, all that goes to our main mission in the world, which is to take care of the poor. So just check all that stuff out. All right, so let's ask ourselves these questions: Are you envious because God is generous? If you have a problem with God giving someone the same wage as you, even though you don't think they deserve it as much as you, there's two options. One, you don't believe God can do what he wants to do, or two, you have an envy problem. Who was the famous, he said that all, all atrocities in the world are birthed out of human envy. Yeah, you can, you can take it away. Yeah, Azazel, yeah, yeah, okay, so... So it's, it's, or you have an envy problem. Let, let's ask it a few ways. If you hear someone talk about the generosity of God, do you get angry? Would you rather hear a message on God judging people? Of course, any message I've ever heard on judgment includes the imagery of a white guy with a black robe and a white wig, not a farmer with pruning shears. So what is that? If you hear someone talk about the generosity of God, do you get angry? To avoid the flames of heaven, we have to die to the idea that God must be fair. Grace, by definition, isn't fair. And let's say it this way. Heaven consumes in flames any ideas of rank. Heaven consumes in flames any ideas around rank. We're going to get to that in a second, okay? But let me just ask you simply this question. How much money, energy, resources, and time have you spent trying to be er? Richer, smarter, thinner, faster. How much, how much time, energy, resources have you spent trying to keep up, trying to rank better? It is the motive of your Christian service to rank better in heaven. You, you, that's how you, you know what we used to be taught is that, is that in heaven, you, you know, you, you, God pays people different. And we're going to talk about that tomorrow, by the way. I'm going to handle the other side of this about, about what you bury and what you use and how it's important to do that. But if, and I'm not talking about method. You should be doing things to establish the kingdom. But if the motive of your heart is for God to like you better, that is that now, now you're entering into witchcraft, the subtle sort of thing. Heaven consumes rank. It frees you. Do, do you know that um, last year um, Europeans spent $11 billion on cosmetics? $11 billion trying to be prettier. Did it work? Do you feel better about yourself? Of the $11 billion, $3 billion were spent by men. What are you doing? That surely isn't working. There's now whole sections in department stores for men's cosmetics. What is wrong with us? You know, $11 billion would put clean water and sewer in the whole world? <laughs> what, are, what, are we, what are we doing? What, what, are we, what are we doing? 
Are, are, you, are you trying to rank better? Heaven, if heaven invaded your life tomorrow, it wouldn't matter how well you rank. Well, you would just be overwhelmed with God's presence. That there's something about no one being worthy, and all of a sudden you're consumed with the presence of this ultra-loving God who lets you in anyway. It doesn't matter who's writer. It just matters that you're there. Can you imagine standing around Jesus in heaven and someone having the gall to go, hey, this is all great and all, but I can't wait to ask him who was right and who was wrong between me and you. No, it just won't matter. Which leads me to this question. Is there any place in your life where you've lost the privilege of being overwhelmed with God's presence at the expense of being right? Has, is there anywhere in your life that you've lost the, the, the privilege of being overwhelmed with God at the altar of having to figure him out? Let me ask it this way. Would you rather see someone healed or would you rather understand healing? I'd rather see someone healed. I don't really care how he does it, really. Remember there's a story in Luke chapter 9 where, where the disciples say, Jesus, we saw a man casting devils out of people and we tried to stop him because he wasn't doing it like we do. Now, hang on a second. In my experience, the less devils, the better, right? So if you're getting devils out of people, do whatever you want to do. I mean, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. If, could you, could, if you ever, would you rather see someone delivered of a devil, or would you rather understand all the ways that deliverance works? Would you rather see deliverance, or would you rather understand it? Both would be nice, but, if you, but you'd rather see it. That sometimes we lose our privilege of being overwhelmed because we have to figure it all out. A great example of this is a magic, a great magician. I was in Las Vegas and I went and saw Penn and Teller. Penn and Teller are ridiculous. Here, here was their first trick. This is how they warm the crowd up, okay? I just thought it was an icebreaker for the crowd. They come out on stage, they throw ping pong balls into the thing. Obviously, one is marked. Somebody gets the Mark Ping Pong, some random person. They said, sir, do you have a cell phone? Yes, I do. Would you come up? Have you ever met us before? No. So you testify with these people you never met us before? Yes, absolutely. All right. So you have a cell phone? Yes, I do. Can we see it? Yes. All right. Put it back in your pocket. Then what they do is they talk to him. And in the course of talking to him, they pick his pocket. And I thought that was the whole thing because people were still walking in. I just thought it was like we're, we're having a laugh at this guy's expense. And they're doing it in a hilarious way, right? Like they are, they are making a fool of this guy in just a hilarious way, hilarious way. Like only, it's less than a minute, 40 seconds later, they say, where's your phone? He said, oh, and so you can't find his phone. And so they say, your whole job in life was to bring your phone and you've lost your phone, right? Of course, he's going, well, and so I thought that was the whole joke. I thought that was the whole thing. They said, my goodness, do you have a friend? Yes, I have a friend. Where's your friend? Sir, would you, you have a phone? Yes. Would you call the guy, please? Yes. So, so the guy picks up his phone, rings the guy's number. A box underneath a seat in the 25th row starts ringing. They said, oh, there's a box ringing. Bring it up here. So they, Because they're not going to get it. So they pass the box up. So everyone in the audience handles this box. So you can see it's a real box, right? They hand it all the way up. It's a styrofoam box that's taped shut. They take, a, they take a camera, put it on the box, and put it on the big screen. They take a knife and cut open the box. Inside that box was a block of ice with a fish frozen solid inside the block of ice. They took a hammer and broke the ice. They had the guy call the phone again. The fish was ringing. They took a knife. They cut the head off the fish and pulled the guy's phone out of the frozen fish. All this took place in two minutes. So I sat there and went, 
Yeah, that is awesome. But there were people around me who lost the privilege of being overwhelmed at a skill very well practiced because they had to know how that happened. How did that happen? Like, who cares how that happened? That was, did you, that was a brilliant, that was unbelievable. That was, that was awesome. And Penn Jillette is the most vocal about there's no such thing as spiritual power. Like, he says, anybody in Vegas claiming to have true spiritual power is a criminal. He said, these are well-contrived, well-practiced illusions that we have practiced hours and hours and hours on over 38 years so we don't get caught. If we showed you how we did it, you wouldn't be that amazed. The amazing part is not how we did it. It's that we don't get caught doing it. And so I thought, yeah, yes, yes. But there was people around me who kept saying, how'd they do that fish thing? And I'm like, I don't know how they did the fish thing, but I'm not going to lose my privilege of being overwhelmed with what they just did at the expense of needing to know how they did it. And all alone, they did stuff like that. And the people around me were like, how do they do that? I'm like, who did you see? That's amazing. I think we need to be more like that with God. We see someone delivered of seven demons, and instead of having a theological discussion on how that happened, why can't we just go, oh, thank God they're delivered of seven demons. That is, that is awesome. You see someone healed miraculously, and instead of sitting around having theological discussions on how did that happen, why can't we just go... That guy was sick and now he's made whole. That, that's amazing. That's amazing. H- have we ever lost our privilege of being overwhelmed with God at the expense of having to be right and figure it all out? If he's God. You, you, you know, you know, anybody, anybody know what the second command is? The second commandment. What is it? Go ahead. Don't have idols. Is that all it says? No. It, it does say don't bow down idols, very good. But, but it also says, and don't make any image of me. In other words, don't, be, don't bow down to them and don't make any image of me. Essentially, the way the rabbis teach it is this, is if you can think it up, it's not God. If you can conceive it, it's not God. It's not. If, if, if I had my whiteboard back, which I don't need, but if, if I drew a circle on the whiteboard and that circle represented everything that could be known about God, and I handed you a pen, and I said, what percentage of the circle do you know? How much would it be? A dot? Can I, right? Can I get an amen on that? So how is it possible that a group of people who would readily admit that all we know is a dot would get adamant about anything? You just admitted all you know was a dot, and you're adamant about what? Your dot? God's infinitely bigger than your concept of him. And if we ever lose the privilege of being overwhelmed with what he is at the expense of being right about who he is, then that is bad. That is, that's flames of heaven stuff. It's worthiness. Let's ask a couple more practical questions. Here we go. Are you at risk of walking out of heaven because those people can't be there? <laughs> is there anybody, if you saw them in heaven, you would be convinced you were in hell and you would walk away? I could tell you, when my granddad got to heaven and saw black people at the table, he struggled. He probably thought he was in hell. He probably thought the preacher was a liar, man. He told me I'd avoid places like this. Because in my granddad's concept of hell, 
hell, in heaven, heaven's full of white people. There's like a white people section. <laughs> we don't have to wear the... Okay. Um, if, let's ask it this way. If heaven invaded your life today, who would you have to accept that you now see as unacceptable? Maybe there's someone in the church that uh, you just have, always have problems with and, um, and, and, and Jesus is inviting you to go ahead and accept them now, flaws and all, because heaven, is, they're going to be there. You're going to have to eat a meal with them at some point. Why, why not now? If you're going to have to do it someday, why not now? Here, here's one, here's one of, of John's revelations of heaven. And don't forget Domitian when I read this, okay? Don't forget all that stuff I did on Domitian. Surrounding the throne were four and twenty elders, four and twenty other thrones. The seat on them were four and twenty elders. And they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles of pearls of thunder. And in front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. It's a menorah. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Remember what the seven spirits of God are? Wisdom, understanding, counsel, power, knowledge, fear of the Lord. It's the menorah. The middle candle is the servant. No anointing lights without the heart of a servant. Wisdom. And the, 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 the anointings of God have to be tempered. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, power, knowledge, fear of the Lord. If you have wisdom without the fear of the Lord, you're a jerk. If you have knowledge without understanding, you're useless. If you have, if you have power without counsel, you're mean. They're tempered with the heart of a servant. And also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. So in this vision of heaven, where is Jesus? He's in the center, and everyone is sitting around him. So maybe we can say it this way, that heaven challenges this notion of God, that Jesus is at the top of a pyramid, and everyone's fighting to rank the best so that they get the closest to him. Heaven challenges this notion of God, embraces this notion of God. That Jesus is at the center and everybody's equidistant around him because no one was worthy to begin with. Heaven forces us to start with the starting point that says no one's worthy anyway. And so if I think I'm more worthy than you, I'm just simply comparing levels of unworthiness and that's just silly. Heaven is so full of grace that a bunch of unworthy people... See, in Jesus' notion of heaven, heaven is not created by the exclusion of imperfect people. Heaven is created by the inclusion of imperfect people and by grace, cleaning them up and purifying them with the flames of heaven. That the flames of heaven is not judgment, not in the way we see it. The flames of heaven is grace. The flames of heaven is pruning. The flames of heaven is God's relentless pursuit to make you the best you can be in God's kingdom without taking your free will away. Maybe we can say it this way. Listen, look at this. Mark chapter 10. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said to us, We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Which is a very loaded question. It's like they were 10 years old. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. And they replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other sit at your left. In other words, in their concept, they were still struggling with the fact that God wasn't at the top and get there. They were struggling with that thought. And if that's the thought, then we need to get the closest. Now, where in human history do you see this concept of government? Everywhere. Caesars. You wanted to get the closest to them because the closest to them had the power. 
They knew Jesus was going to establish a kingdom. Where? In heaven? No, on the earth. And they say, if you take over Rome, can we be the guys sitting closest to you? Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not what my kingdom looks like. My kingdom looks like this. And you're just going to have to deal with that. We're going to do away with rank. And if, you, and if you're honest, all attempts in your life to rank better have caused you pain anyway. Why not do away with it? What are you trying to do? You, you want to keep the pressure of being prettier, thinner, smarter, richer? You want to keep all that? No, let's do away with that. See, heaven, heaven delivers me from the notion that I have to outdo anyone to be okay with God. But it also makes me treat someone who hasn't outdone me with grace. Because there's always somebody that's done more than me. There's always someone that's done less than me. Heaven includes us all in a circle. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Have you ever had someone ask you a question and then make it about something it wasn't? What about this question has anything to do with the glory of God? Nothing. This is about the glory of Peter and James. Or sorry, James and John. You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink of the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I baptize with? I, I love the fact that Jesus' disciples who walked and talked with him, they struggled with this too. It makes me feel a little better. Matter of fact, particularly Peter and James, I'm sorry, particularly Peter and John, they had this competition going as to who could expose the other one's faults better. Let me give you an example. Who cut off the servant of the high priest's ear when they came to arrest Jesus? Who did that? How do you know that? Matthew, Mark, and Luke say a certain companion of Jesus. John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke say, one of Jesus' friends cut off the servant of the high priest's ear. John's like, it was Peter, man. I throw that mug under the bus. It was Peter. And then if you think about it, in John 21, John throws in this stab at Peter that's very subtle. It says, so Jesus cooked Peter breakfast over a fire of burning coals. When was the last time Peter stood over a fire burning coals? When he denied him. So at Peter's restoration, John subtly recreates the denial. Just like John. Maybe we could ask ourselves a few questions. If heaven invaded our life today, we would be overwhelmed with how much it's not about us. Is there any place we're sitting in the wrong chair? Is there any place you're sitting in the center? Is there any place you're obsessed with how you rank? How much energy do we spend trying to rank properly? How much energy do we spend trying to rank properly? We ask ourselves, am I thin enough, smart enough, tall enough, rich enough, fast enough, social enough? Do I own enough? How much energy do we spend comparing rank? How much energy do we spend trying to be richer, smarter, skinnier, happier, hipper, prettier, taller, shorter, thinner, bigger, importanter, talenteder? Are we stuck in the land of Ur? Heaven delivers us from that. Heaven deliver the problem with Ur is that there's always a nest. There's always someone who has more. You'll never get to the end ever. Heaven delivers us from that. This notion translates into how we see God. If heaven invaded us today, we would not care where we rank. We would be overwhelmed with God's presence. So if that's true in heaven, would you agree that that's true about heaven? That if we were in heaven right now, we wouldn't care with how we rank. We would be overwhelmed with God's presence, correct? So if we were in heaven today, that would be true, right? And Jesus' calling is to allow heaven to be established where? 
in you right now. So if you were in heaven, you wouldn't care how you rank. You'd be overwhelmed with God's presence. Why aren't we just being overwhelmed with God's presence and ceasing to care with how we rank today? What's stopping us? Why not let that part of heaven be established in you right now? What has it done for you lately anyway? Causes a lot of strife and division and agony and arguing. 16,900 children are going to die today of starvation and Christians are arguing about verses. Like what? How about this? How easily are we offended? Jesus described heaven as tormenting to those who don't forgive. That makes a lot of sense. If you're forced to eat at the same table and watch someone get the same wage you did and you won't forgive them, that's going to be tormenting. Oh, by the way, the word translated torment there is the word bazanizo. It just simply means uh, to test the purity of something. It's, it's a touchstone. If you were selling me gold in the first century and I wasn't sure if you were being honest, I would take the gold and I'd rub it against a touchstone to see if it was pure. So when, it's, when, when the word, I don't know where they got torment from, it just simply means they'll be purified, they'll, they'll be rubbed up against a touchstone until, until they come up pure. In other words, this thing's, you, you, until you deal with it, it's going to keep coming back on you. And that's so true, so true. Five. Where have we abandoned the dignity of others in the central nature of the throne in the name of ego? Where's Jesus not in the center? Where's Jesus not in the center? Or maybe we say it this way. If heaven invaded our lives, we would not be impressed with any of our righteousness. No one would be worthy. We would simply be overwhelmed with God. We're, going to talk, we're talking about discipleship today. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, your biggest calling and opportunity is to allow heaven to be established in you right now. In heaven, you will not care who was writer. You will only care about being overwhelmed with the presence of God. My invitation to you today is to allow that to be true now. Why not? Jesus' invitation was allow heaven to be established in you now. If that's the way it's going to be in heaven... Why not make it true now and let this world reflect what heaven is? Can I get an amen on that? That's actually meant to be agreed with. <laughs> All right. So because of time, I have a whole nother message on how to develop a sense of worth, but I'm not going to start it because I can't do it justice.